gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you need to listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing lessons from Love Island. Only the UK version. My name is Meiji. My name is Catherine. I'm George. I am Molly. My name is Andrea. My name's Ruchi. My name is Mitchell. I'm Ayla. My name's Tyreek. My name's Jess. And we are joined by a special guest, Kaylee, the director of enterprise marketing at Segment, and also the host of Good Data, Better Marketing. Kaylee, how are you? I'm really well, Ian. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to tell you all my hot takes about the UK, which is the definitive version of Love Island. We have, everyone at, at Team Caspian Studios has emphatically said that the UK version is the only version. All of this is new to me. I had never watched the show before, so oh, it's all new to me. There's something about it. So Kaylee, why Love Island? Why choose this show? This was your choice, I want to be clear. So why choose this show? If you don't get anything out of this episode, it's my fault is really what Eaton is saying. And I, I appreciate that. Listen, I figure if I'm going to spend over 50 hours a season just making my brain absolutely melt watching these hot, oiled up 22 year olds talk about nothing, I might as well get something out of it. And there's actually, I'll tell you, there's a lot here. Let me tell you the the main reason, which is this is a show that shows us that we're all human. It's a guilty pleasure. And you don't really realize like why you're so into it, but you are. And then you realize that everybody else is also really into it. And I think it's because you're comparing yourself. The relationships you have, you're looking at the dynamics of gender roles. You're looking at the idea of heteronormativity. You're thinking about authenticity in a state of surveillance. There's a lot we could talk about here. I had no idea how many people watch this show. I don't think I'm in the demo necessarily. At the moment, I'm not like, not sure if I'm like feeling it. Perhaps. We can change it. We can change that. I didn't necessarily know that this show existed until probably maybe six months to a year ago when we did we were going we were we had a company all hands for caspian and we were going around and talking about like our favorite shows and there were so many people that watched love island and they created a slack channel and all this stuff 
And I just, I'm like, I don't even know what this is. It was similar to British Bake Off for me, where like, I didn't really know that this was a thing. And turns out like all these people, yeah, it's super popular. Also the UK sort of stuff, uh, we're always, we're always loving UK stuff here in America. Bake Off, UK version. The other thing that's super interesting about this show, it happens in real time. And so... There's bombshells being thrown into the island that have watched the contestants live and have these preconceived notions about who they're about to meet. And there's this interaction with the audience live. There's just, it's really compelling for a lot of reasons. Okay, let's zoom out. Meredith, what the heck is Love Island? I think Kaylee really wrapped it up there, but I'll, I'll do my best to give a synopsis too. That is Meredith O'Neill our amazing producer extraordinaire for this show and many other shows at Caspian Studios. So Love Island is a reality TV dating game show where beautiful single people are invited to stay in a tropical villa together in search of love. I'm so excited to get in the villa, you know, meet some new talent. But drama unfolds, of course, when either new islanders arrive or old islanders leave and are forced to couple up. So Dami, you can decide whether you want to stay coupled up with India, or can recouple with one of these girls in front of you. They're given challenges. Girls, it's time for you to show off your ball skills in today's challenge, She's a Keeper. Let's go! Or contestants fail the matchup and get kicked off the island, and part of that is being voted to get kicked off by fans of the show. One couple will eventually win a cash prize in the end, and I've read that's something like $100,000. And they often also leave with sponsor and branding deals and lots of new Instagram followers. This was originally, and I think Kelly would argue only, a popular series in the UK. It was the original and only one. Um, but it was created by ITV Studios. The first version of this was in 2005 and 2006, and that was Celebrity Love Island. But now it's just like regular Love Island. And then it returned to the UK, I believe, in 2015. Um, the US has since started its own version, and now there are about 22 versions of Love Island worldwide. There's like a Finnish version, an Israeli version. It exists everywhere, so it's super, super popular. It's it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's a franchise. That's incredible. How do they make this show? Contestants apply to be on the show, but some are scouted on Instagram or popular YouTubers have been scouted on social media. So people who apply, they have to submit a video of themselves. And the judges are actually looking for people who are truly looking for love, not just truly looking for popularity, that sort of thing. I'm just looking forward to be able to meet the girl of my dreams and just start cracking off. But once accepted um, behind the scenes for production, the contestants are under a lot of restrictions. And there's actually a lot that goes on behind even just bringing them to the island. They're not allowed to meet the other contestants. They're all flown in separately at different times. They can arrive in the middle of the night. And then while on island or on at the villa, they're super supervised. They're not allowed to talk about what's happening on the show during their downtime. And they have special phones that they can use only to talk with other contestants and producers, among other things. So they're on camera basically 24-7. And then the producers pick and choose what ends up going on to the actual show. And they only have Saturdays off. So that's I why. didn't know that. Yeah. And during that time, they, they 
it's basically like they're being watched by producers. They're like shepherded to the beach and then back to the villa and uh, they leave. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's wild. It seems like pretty strenuous work. I'd imagine they do need a day off. It's tough out there. Savage. Colin, when did you first watch it? So admittedly, so I'm not in the, the company Slack channel. That is Colin Stamps, our podcast launch manager here at Caspian Studios and our marketing aficionado. We can change that today, Colin. <laughs> I watched season eight and, you know, I watched the whole thing. It was great. I was hooked. Couldn't, couldn't take my eyes off. The drama is just, it just pulls you in. As a crisp and snaky behind my back. And I actually really liked how they, they interacted with the audience so much. Like this, I've never watched this before, but it was cool to see that because there's like so many reality shows out there. And, you know, they all end up being the same and there's, they all have their own little thing. But I thought the interaction with the, uh, the fans was like the coolest part of it. Kaylee, when did you start watching? I don't even know the answer to this question. It's just, it seems almost at this point that it's just a part of my being and my soul, you know? Go hot, I'll go home. Yeah, when, when was the first time you you felt wind on your face? You know, you don't you don't know, but you don't know. You just know what it feels like. Season four or five, maybe. But then sometimes you go back and you watch an old season, and just to remind yourself of the old days, you know. <laughs> so. You do? It's like one does, or you do? One might. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to watch them sequentially. But what's interesting is like there's an MCU of characters and so now they're starting to draw old characters into new seasons and so they they really do want to to hook you in that way which is always a good strategy so obviously reality tv show has tv shows have been around like forever basically but this version of reality tv shows that probably started 20 plus years ago or 30 gosh like 30 plus years ago with mtv but one of the things that struck me that's so fascinating about this is why the heck did this show break through when there are so many reality dating shows? Like, why this show? Kaylee, why do you think that is? I I have a sense that it's because of what Colin was saying with a lot of the real-time audience interaction that they've embedded within the show because it really allows you to feel like you're a part of their journey it makes you want to watch every episode. You have vested interest because you could be helpful in getting somebody you don't like watching booted off the island or giving them the chance to win a hundred thousand pounds or whatever it is. We're heartbreakers, so here we are. May the best heartbreaker win. So I think that they created the special sauce with being able to bring in multiple different channels with social going along with video at the exact same time and getting the audience interaction live. I also think that there's just something like super endearing in particular about the UK version. A lot of them, it seems, and we can talk about authenticity, but it seems like they're legitimately friends with each other and it's really cute. You like fall in love with their friendships. Colin, you're laughing. Did you fall in love with It's so accurate. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was invested. I'll admit it. Why would you say the UK version is so superior to the US version? I don't necessarily want to make broad generalizations about British people versus American people. 
But maybe it's just like the fact that I love listening to all the different regional accents and the catchphrases that they have. And that's like a huge part of it for me is we don't have that. And it's so cute. Honestly, it's like adorable. He's still like, I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. He's bothered. Yeah, I think that's super fair. I think that um, uh, there's a ton of, there's a reason why a ton of people like watching American television that aren't in America and vice versa, vice versa with other people. I think that is, I think that is a huge draw. Although shout out Videm, who's English and loves the UK version as well. I don't know. Uh, maybe it makes her feel like home. I, the thing that struck me in watching was the way it's shot, first of all, is like stunning. The colors they use, the like, I don't know what cameras they're using, the way that the, I was going to say actors, they're not actors, the way that the like, hair and makeup and different sort of stuff. Like the way that it's shot is like incredible, but it still feels somewhat approachable. Kind of, again, similar to British Bake Off where it's like just the way that it's shot and the way that it's talked about and the way that the people are, that somehow it doesn't sensationalize it so much, even though the whole thing is ridiculously sensationalized. And I tend to feel like American dating shows are the opposite of that, where it's like everything is super sensationalized. Um, Bachelorette, as a as an example, which obviously that show is ridiculously popular as well. So there's appetite for both. Um, yeah, I just I was stunned by the visuals. And who doesn't like an island? That part of it, they're never wearing. Most clothes. of them are islands. They were like in South Africa for a while. So, so I don't want to burst your bubble, but they're, you know, it's a villa. It's a name. Yeah, but I'm saying a place, a place where they can pop the tops, you know, and hang out and show their, uh, show their skin. So uh, clearly that's an allure, right? I'm guessing. I like this idea, though, of the bachelorette with the fact that they travel across the world and they have these really expensive dates and all these things. And quite literally, if you're on Love Island and your date is like having a bottle of cheap wine, I'm sure like you feel very lucky and grateful. It's the funniest thing in the world where like they just they don't spend a lot of money on it. And it's very clear, whereas the Bachelorette would go above and beyond and have a musician that they would hire to just serenade the duo for the night. You know, it's completely different scenarios. For this show specifically, how much like we've talked about nostalgia a lot in marketing, how powerful that is. How much nostalgia in there for this show of just like being 22 and in a bathing suit and hanging out with other attractive people? Because it seems like to me, like part of watching is I literally couldn't imagine being around this group of people for more than five minutes because my brain would explode. How can someone be so sexy? But at the same time, that's part of why you're watching it because you're not one of them and maybe you're reflecting on days past. That's interesting. I think it's, I've never even considered that, but I think it might make a lot of sense is like, this is what I used to be like, or I wish my body looked that amazing kind of thing. <laughs> That's how it is um, for me. I was inspired yeah, to go to the gym. The yep. eight packs are, they're bountiful on, on Love Island. He might look like Aladdin, but it doesn't mean he is Aladdin. Okay? You're not going to let that Aladdin. What I find interesting is that maybe it's like the opposite of nostalgia. It's like the newness of it. Because there's all these 18 to 22-year-olds, for the most part, that are coming in, and they're saying phrases that I feel old hearing. 
Mm. And I'm like, (laughs) what does that mean? And I'll have to Google what, you know, for one example, on job was like the phrase of last season. Like, I can put it into context clues, but what the heck are they talking about? I'm like, is this a Gen Z thing? Is this a British thing? Is it a combination? Hashtag get on job. Another thing I think to me that particularly producers do well is getting, they tell a story so fast. Like they get you interested in these people so quickly, like so unbelievably quickly. They find that one nugget and like, who knows how long they spend in those interviews, right? When they're standing in front of the screen, like those could be an hour. They could be two hours. Like I have no idea. I've never been on set on a reality TV show, but they find that one nugget and it's so memorable. My name is Mitchell, I'm 26 from Sheffield, and I'm a gas engineer. People see the handsome face, the good body, the nice car, the good job, and just think, he's a f- boy, can I say that? It's just like, those things are, they're so good at reality TV. And I don't know if they like purposely just bring that stuff all the time to make it memorable. Cause you don't remember everybody's name, you don't remember that stuff, but the producers just do it like a wonderful job of just reminding you who these people are with their little personality traits. And it's crazy that you could remember cast from seasons like four or five seasons ago when it's like everybody is so similar. You're right. Everybody is very similar, but it's the friendships and what makes you feel like. And I don't know. I think it's changed a little bit over time, but there's certainly in reality TV and in Love Island, this idea of authenticity as it relates to reality TV shows, I think is always there. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you're also in this constant state of surveillance. Like you literally have cameras on you for 24-7 for eight weeks. And I imagine that could feel fake in a lot of ways. And that's probably the worst thing that you can be called in Love Island is fake. (laughs) Did you want to have a good ass little kiss for me? I would have preferred to without like eyes in the back of my head. (laughs) And so... I think there's this interesting kind of tension there as well with the authenticity and the feeling like you know these characters and to your point, like these producers are incredible. Are they overproducing it? Are they editing out some of the things that we might find boring because it's not dramatic enough? Absolutely. And so there's this like tension there. All right, marketing lessons. What do you think, Kaylee? What's your what are your marketing B2B marketing lessons from Love Island? Okay. So, this isn't a leap at all. It's omnichannel. It is. So, like the fact that you are bringing in multiple different channels in real time involving the public um and then even afterward the cast becomes influencers like all of these are different media channels that the show is influencing i think it's fascinating to think about those interactions and how you might apply those to your events or the ways that you do your social strategy there's no limitation to who should deploy an omnichannel strategy yeah i would add that not just is it omnichannel but that the show requires engagement. It requires the audience to participate or 
it would destroy the fabric of the show. And that like, it can't, like you mentioned it earlier, that it's like, I can make a difference in getting this person voted off. Giving the audience agency is ridiculously powerful. How can we do that in B2B marketing? Giving the audience more agency in what is happening. I think you see pockets of examples at this, and it has to do with anything that's happening live. You know, if we're talking about on demand, or if we're talking about evergreen, probably can do this in the same way. But if you're talking about a live event, there's a lot of different layers of interaction that you can have. So like, you can live tweet it, you can speak to your audience directly. If people are using Twitter, don't know, but you can live social it. You can have yourself going on Instagram live or Facebook live or whatever your channels are um, and have that direct line of sight directly into your audience in real time. You could do interactive polls and you could have those embedded within a conference presentation and have a talk track off the back of that. You could leverage some content that is created live using those live polls for derivative content so that you can actually use that for downloadable assets in the future. You can do social selling with your sales team and have them amplify the message in real time. So there's all of these different channels that I think you can start to think about as it relates to this one live event and then how you can actually use that also on demand in the future. Yeah, one of the things that I thought about with this was when people give like a keynote or something like that. And you can go, actually, you know where I saw this? Oh my gosh, what a plug. I saw this at Twilio Signal Conference huh. Shout back out. years ago. Obviously, Kaylee worked for Twilio and all of our listeners should go to twilio.com and check it out if you haven't. Especially Segment, a brilliant tool. But no, so I saw this at, 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 at Signal back in the day where... CEO basically had everyone send a message on their phone and during the actual keynote was like live coding and could get people's feedback in real time. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, this is incredibly cool. Yeah, I got to play it cool a little bit, I think. And the idea that you could engage an audience in that way is so cool to me. And like, it's so infrequently done, but it's like really easy to do. It's not, it's not like difficult tech at all. A hundred percent. Yeah, Twilio does that at a lot of conferences. We have a barista stand at a lot of different conferences and you can kind of text exactly what your order is and they'll text you back exactly when it's, you know, ready at that kind of like third party sponsorship. So like just these little delightful moments that you can have in real time that you wouldn't necessarily expect, making sure that it, you're continuing to be human and you're delighting people. I think that's what it, it all comes back to. I would say another thing with audience engagement that I find really fascinating that I don't know if this is necessarily a takeaway, but people don't care as much when there's a bad season of something when it's reality TV because the next season is something new. So like, even if maybe people are turning out, like tuning out, there's still this like, oh, I get to talk about how the season isn't as good. And I think that's something so counterintuitive to someone who creates content. And what if this one's kind of a dud? It can't really be that big of a dud for Love Island. It, even if it's not that engaging, it's like, oh, next season it is. And we're just not going to use any of these people like to bring them back in the future. That's so right. It's just like the 
need for the audience to be a part of the story and trash talking as a part of the story. Actually, they directly embed tweets from the audience in real time into the challenges sometimes and try to have them guess what character, what islander these tweets are about. And so even if a lot of the time they're nasty or saying bad things about the show, it's still good television. Like they they create this little like dumpster fire microcosm that just really just it works. On that note of having the audience influence the direction of the show for Love Island, for example, makes me think so in B2B marketing, there's a lot of companies who are going in the direction of creating their own podcasts. And as we sit here and do a podcast right now, it just makes me think that there's an audience out there listening and maybe there's an opportunity to engage with those audience members, similar to how they do in Love Island. Maybe it's giving giving audience members the options to choose the next guest or suggest topics to talk about on a next episode or, hey, next season, like, what what are the different topics you want us to cover? There's definitely people out there who are doing that right now with some of their shows, but I think that's also a really interesting opportunity and direction that from a B2B perspective that people could take. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, you think about how hard it is, right? So like if you were tweeting at us or messaging us, like we can go through a handful of these things and it ain't that hard. How many tweets do you think are at Love Island, right? And they have to go through all of those essentially in real time, not exactly in real time, but basically in real time to pull those out, to prep it. You know, there's so much more in the production. And that's the thing about a production like this, right? It's completely different than Star Wars or Ted Lasso because you have to be responsive rather than meticulous in your like planning and preparation. You need to have a production team that is used to doing things on the fly. It's actually one of the lessons I heard from a CMO back in the day they're talking about their marketing team. And one of the things that they learned from COVID was they didn't have a part of their marketing team that was really good with unplanned things. Like they're like, we could build out a content calendar. We could get everything out super far in advance. We could do all these things. But when it came to like reacting like quickly, we had no, we'd never built that muscle before. And we're just extremely slow to respond to anything. So Like if one of our competitors ran a campaign, we would be responding in months, not days. And I always thought that was an interesting thing. Like, how do you build your marketing team so that you have a part of it that can respond quickly to things? Like, it's just not something that you necessarily think of, but the Love Island producers have to do that. That's fascinating. It's something that I think B2B marketers learned a lot of the lessons there with COVID. Their playbooks needed to change entirely overnight. Their messaging needed to change completely overnight. And when you talk to a B2B marketer and you in an interview and you ask them like, okay, tell me about a time that things didn't go well or, you know, that you needed to change plans. So I spent the first couple of days honestly crying because I did just feel blindsided. Nowadays, every single one of their examples is going to be COVID, but it speaks to your idea of the adaptability and the flexibility and the idea of innovation and making sure that you, right now, it's AI. Every single company on earth right now is thinking, okay, what's our AI response? What are our use cases? How are we thinking about it? And that came up pretty much 
this winter, I would argue, when ChatGPT went live. So I think that, yeah, being being able to react and being enabled to innovate is really important. And it's what Love Island does really well. Other takeaways from Love Island. So in Love Island, we've talked about this idea of authenticity. And it's really interesting because I think that a lot of B2B companies struggle with authenticity in a lot of ways because there's this hard line, it seems. Like it's a business selling into a business and everything feels so serious. And at the end of the day, you're talking to humans. And I think that B2B sometimes forgets that. But I think if you anchor yourself and remember that your customers are humans and that you need to build authentic connections and relationships with them, then you're probably going to get higher engagement. I think a trend that really speaks to this is ESG. Every company, B2B, B2C, whoever, is going to have a corporate responsibility strategy that's going to talk to a DEI strategy and all of those things are attracting talent. They're also attracting your customers, your suppliers, etc. I think that leads to authenticity. And then there are some companies that I think have really interesting examples of this. So like Carta, the the company that does stocks for startups, they like help you issue your stocks. They have this campaign about the equity of your stocks. So like women in general get less stock compensation than men. And the reason that I bring that up is because it goes back to this idea in Love Island of that natural tendency that we all have to compare ourselves to what's going on on the TV, or in this case, what other people are being paid in my company. But I think it leads them with a message of authenticity that people can trust you. You're telling me this information, you're breaking this barrier, and you're a B2B brand that I can trust because it's a very human approach. I love that. That's great. And Carta's stuff on all that is is like absolutely world-class. They've put together some like incredible content over the years on that um, and about pay gap and all that. We're going to do our own, our own challenge here today. And one of you will leave with 50,000 pounds of respect. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Nice. I see a street college now, you know what I mean? How many people do you think tuned in live to the recoupling episode of season eight how many viewers 20 million eight million what about eight million okay 15 million okay you're all way over but (laughs) 3.9 million so i was the closest live viewers 100 million streams in less than four weeks for season eight 100 million for this show but that's crazy that it's crazy how many streams they do versus watching live they were doing 5 million viewers an episode live tv and doing however many additionally on demand i'd say it's a huge takeaway for marketers that you absolutely have to have an on-demand component you have to have a live component to some of your stuff but if you're not creating on-demand content that's easily streamable, accessible, multi-platform, like you are missing out on a massive demographic. Like those are crazy numbers. I mean, crazy numbers for the show, but also just crazy numbers of people that are watching, that are streaming and that are watching afterwards. 
And I think something that we, I, we haven't named this yet, but in the B2B world, this is called community. It's what we're yeah. all trying to build by having podcasts, frankly. It's why every SaaS company is buying media companies. It's the fact that you want to be able to speak directly to this community and engage them. And the other example of the real-time interaction that Love Island fosters is they bring their fans to the live end finale. And so you can buy tickets to go to the villa. And so that's just yet another component and channel that they opened up and driving that fan engagement. Here's another stat for our competition. How many impressions do you think season four of Love Island did on the Twitters? Great season. I don't even know what Twitter stats are like these days. 2.5 billion impressions. On okay, Love that's, Island. that's more than I would have thought. That's a big number. Over 6 million tweets for the fourth season, which is a massive, massive, massive number. In addition, 6,800 tweets mentioning Samsung, the sponsor. Fascinating stuff, right? You're talking about extreme engagement on social channels in real time. Just the show, literally, it, they can't live without each other, right? Like all shows can't live without an audience. Audiences can, in fact, live without shows. All shows can't live without audiences. But that connection is like so much closer than what any other show that you could think of on on TV most days. It's the number one show, TV show in Great Britain in 2018, for example. So it's just like that is just incredible connection to the audience. And they're just serving exactly what they want. As it should be the number one show. It is. It's a, It's iconic. Absolutely. It's something else I just thought of, which is so... All of this is just so smart. They're incredibly smart. So they have what I would say in B2B would be like a big moment. So your product launches, the annual campaigns or reports that they do, they have those. They do Casa More every single time. They have the baby show every single time. They have all these moments. They also have a live DJ set that they do every single time. And they've recently had it sponsored by Spotify. So they're also bringing partner marketing into the equation when, you know, they're actually getting other brands and amplifying those. You mentioned Samsung was tweeted hundreds of times during season four. I bet Spotify was tweeted a whole lot more than that because they're getting that DJ session as part of the big moment. I believe they do it with the outfits they wear as well, like sunglasses deals, like clothing deals, stuff like that as well. And yet there's still an air of authenticity. And the reason why is because we don't care who makes the sunglasses. We don't care about the sponsorship. We don't care about all that stuff. Like it doesn't detract from our viewing that the outfits are paid for by somebody or that's an integrated sponsorship. We don't care that they're sponsors. We don't care that Samsung like is the sponsor. Like meaning, meaning we don't care as if it does not just detract from our experience because they've done it in such a good way. We do care what they're wearing because we're like, oh, those sunglasses are cute. I want to buy those or I'll buy that swimsuit or whatever. That stuff does matter to the consumer. But we, I mean, there's, I've talked about this stat before that Tim Ferriss pulled his audience. 91% of his audience actually enjoys his ad reads because they learn about new products and services. It's like case in point, the stuff that Love Island can do to drive additional revenue for the, for the organization. 
And it's just something that I think in B2B, like we just forget that like having some ads in your content or partnerships or like any user conference that you've ever been to that has 5,000 logos everywhere, nobody cares. We don't care. It's part of the experience. And, uh, and it's important to remember that when you're creating your own stuff that if you're going to have integrated ad reads and all that, it's not a big deal. And today's episode is sponsored by the Caspian Merchandise Store. No, we don't have that. Um, well, you know, you all earn 50,000 pounds of respect for me for completing our, our really, really good show today. Kaylee, any final thoughts? Listen, I think it's, you got to remember, even in B2B, that your customer is human, that they also don't like to read copy that sounds like you're trying too hard to be smart with all these buzzwords and that they just want to feel these moments of delight, these moments of engagement that feel like they're from a real human and a real community. And I think that's what we can strive for as B2B marketers is just making sure we remember that at the end of the day, our customers are human. Awesome having you on the show. Thank you, Kaylee. Colin and Meredith, thank you as always. Thanks to everyone for listening. Make remarkable stuff. We'll see you next week. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, Colin Stamps, our podcast launch manager, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.